Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your compassion and mercy towards us in Christ Jesus. Compassion that welcomes into your kingdom all who believe in Jesus Christ, from the youngest of us to the oldest of us, from here locally to around the world, that all may enter in because of your compassion and mercy. Thank you, Father, and praise you for this gospel of grace. Thank you that we have come to hear of it, to know of it. We praise you and thank you that we can be used of you and partner in uh, the ministry of proclaiming it to our world. Equip us through your word this morning so that we would go forth into our world to make disciples of all the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just uh, I want to add to the announcements that was made earlier just quickly. Uh, for those of you who want to get baptized, even if you can't get your application in, uh, you know, say today, but you're interested in getting baptized, please come attend the uh, baptism class. It's going to be after second service today. It'll be room uh, 303. It's that corner room, corner conference room. So please attend. Uh, and even if you don't have your application in yet, because um, <clears throat> uh, baptism is coming up in two weeks, two weeks, two Sundays from now. So uh, hopefully that many of you will be, uh, will be, partic- participate, be able to participate in that who wish to be baptized. <clears throat> well, uh, as you notice, uh, we're not in numbers today. You can turn your Bibles, if you wish, to Luke 18, 15 to 17. I'll be reading that just for our scripture reading. But uh, <clears throat> this, is a minis- this was a message that the Lord laid upon my heart uh, early last week, in fact. And I was prepared to preach it, um, but then I got sick. So, uh, you know, caught some bug that's going around. Uh, but the Lord was gracious. Uh, I'm, you know, here today. And this message, I, even though I wasn't able to preach it last week, I wanted to still preach it this week. Uh, I feel it's a, uh, something about this message that, in light of all that was going on in our world and in, in, our, in our church, I thought it would be a fitting message to go. And these mess, kind of messages are different. They're rare. <clears throat> I, I don't... I don't like to just always preach about what's going on in our world, uh, and <clears throat> because there's just you know you can constantly talk about different things that the world is talking about. Uh, so it's always neat to win. The Lord lays upon my heart something that I hope I believe that He wants us to talk, hear and understand uh, and to talk about. And so hopefully this message, though it's a topical sermon, it is a topical sermon. It's a sort of a um, if you will a biblical theology of disciple uh, of discipling children. And uh, that it would encourage you and many of you who are uh, parents particularly, but also those of you who are workers with our children's workers. But I, there's application of this, uh, of discipling children to our whole church in, our, in what we're doing as making disciples of all the nations. As you know, you can just look around the room. This past week, we began our day camp, our day camp. So uh, <clears throat> it's kind of neat. It was nice to have those colorful uh, pictures and whatnot. And if you were here during the week, it's just, it's really neat to see the church just turn into this, like, really uh, um, full of life uh, and activity with the kids running all around and, and just uh, having fun, enjoying the things of the Lord. And I just really appreciate, as particularly as parents with three of those children, I really do want to pre- express my appreciation to those of you who served this week. Uh, um, and uh, you've, uh, you've ministered to not only our children, but you've ministered to our family. And I thank, you, I thank God for all of you. Now, <clears throat> we had over 50 kids, or around 50 kids or so, 30 ministry workers, in fact, can you imagine that? 30 people took their time out of their week, many, uh, you know, uh, could have been doing many other things, some took time off work even to be there, and a lot of planning, a lot of praying went into the preparation. Uh, now, <clears throat> and, I, and I just, I'm always amazed that uh, we're able to really have this profound impact upon the lives of children in the church, and it's a great joy to, uh, to influence them for Christ. Now, not only do I want to commend uh, our day camp workers this past week, but I also just want to express my appreciation to those of many of you who are or current or even past uh, children's ministry workers. We have a, every Sunday, every Friday, we have various ministries to children, and a lot of you are involved, and I thank God for, for all of you. 
But I also want to express my appreciation and, and encouragement of, <clears throat> to commend the, the children's workers who disciple our kids uh, the rest of the week. And I'm talking about particularly our parents. And many of our parents have this great task as well uh, as, uh, as disciple makers of our children. It's not an easy task. And those of us parents will all confess that it's hard. Uh, it's, we're often tired. Uh, but in the daily routines of work, school, and, and various activities, uh, we strive to do our best to disciple and, and to point our children towards Christ. Even last week, we were encouraged. I know. I hope you were encouraged after a second. If you were, well, you're all first service folks, but you didn't see it. So second service, after second service, we had our child dedication. Hopefully you got to see that. And we had two families dedicating uh, uh, three kids, a couple of them, uh, multiple kids there. And it was encouragement to see their child, parents <clears throat> dedicate them to, their child, to raise their children in the way of the Lord. When you think about it, children's ministry is an important ministry, and it's an important ministry because it's, and it's reflected in how labor-intensive it is. Uh, the ministries that involve a, uh, just a lot of people are, you, you know, you, you have to make a, actually, you think about it, do we want to invest that many people in a particular ministry? And we do because, to us, we believe as a church, it's important. It's important. Children's ministry is important. Not only does God, and, and it's important because God, you should think about what God does. God assigns two full-time workers from the moment these children are born, essentially, to be their full-time disciple makers. And then God brings a whole community along, a church, to also help disciple these kids to maturity in Christ. This morning, I just want to take a look at the ministry of discipling children uh, from the scriptures. The ministry of discipling children is a vital part of making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's our, our purpose as a church, to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And an important part of it, and an initial part of it, is the ministry of discipling children. God's plan of making disciples of all the nations begins with God's people discipling their children. Whether you personally are involved in ministry to children or not, my aim is that we will all better understand disciple-making as a church through God's revelation in his scriptures about regarding the ministry of discipling children. So we're going to look at three points, three truths. Uh, hopefully they're, uh, though if I'm honest, uh, each of these truths probably have multiple other truths, but... Uh, I just want to keep three points for you to hang your hat on. Okay, Three truths about discipling children that equip the church for making disciples of all the nations. Okay, Three truths, and hopefully you'll find this encouraging to you as you and I continue to strive to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So the first point, and the point I'm going to spend the most time on probably is the plan of discipling children. This is God's plan of discipling children. God's plan for disciple-making of all the nations is patterned after and begins with the discipling of children. Let's walk through scripture together. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27, God intentionally created man. He created man male and female, two genders, in his own image. And then in the very next verse, verse 28, what does God say to the man and the woman? He tells them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the nations of the, uh, all the animals of the earth. See, God created man in his image so that man would be his image bearer, to reflect his image, to manifest his character to the world. And it's in their multiplication and spread throughout the earth and dominion and rule over the earth God's glory would be manifest throughout the earth in these image bearers in mankind. Mankind is made to reflect God's character in our world, and as we multiply, spread, and, and rule over our world and, and, and have creative rule, uh, control of our world, it reflects God's character. It, it is designed to reflect God's character. However, we know that by Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world and sin corrupted this plan. 
It affected this plan. Instead of God's way of life, instead of being image bearers of God through our multiplication and spread and dominion, mankind started to choose their own way. They suited to live their life, to, to multiply, spread, and have dominion for their, not for God's glory, not to reflect God's character, but to, for their own glory. And that way, of course, by Genesis 5, we learned that even though they were made in the image of man, it led to their death, their constant death, apart from God's saving plan. So God, in his wisdom, started a plan. And he started a plan with one man, the man named Abram. He chose him in Genesis chapter 12. He made a covenant with him. And then and he made a covenant to give him descendants. This is in Genesis 15. Descendants by which would become a great nation, a great nation by which all the families of the earth would be blessed. And this is just basic uh, kind of biblical, uh, uh, biblical framework. God chose Abraham through his descendants would become a great nation through whom ultimately, of course, Christ would come that would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And we want to kind of look a little more closely at his choice of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, I'll show you the first verse I'm going to look at then. As the Lord was preparing in this context, the world has become very wicked. In fact, by Genesis 6, it got so wicked, he had to just destroy the world and start over, but set with Noah and his family. But as the Lord was preparing, the world got wicked again, and it was notorious in this, particularly these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 18, verse 19, as God was about to destroy this, uh, this, these towns, he said this of Abraham. He, was, <clears throat> he says, For I have chosen him, that is Abraham, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. See, God chose Abraham not just to have children to multiply, but God chose Abraham in order so that Abraham might command his children. The verb conveys that it's not enough just to pass on knowledge to, <clears throat> about God. It implies that this knowledge is to, to be passed on and encouraged to be, to be followed. It's to keep the way of the Lord. And that's what we see here. Abraham was to command his children and his family after him to keep, to observe the way of the Lord. Now this term, the way of the Lord, the term way refers to one's manner of life. It's not a physical path, it's figurative. It's figurative of a way of living. It's a way of living that is of the Lord. For man had chosen to a way of living that was of man. Really, the, and, and, But God wants us to choose Abraham to destroy to disciple his children, to command his children so they may choose the way of living of the Lord. Everyone lives in this world according to one of two ways. You go to look at Psalm 1 and you see that truth. The term way, uh, and, and the, the way, there's the way of life, and there's the way of the Lord, and there's the way of death, the way of man. And everyone lives according to these ways. The one leads to life, one leads to destruction. Abraham was chosen by God to be a blessing to all the families of the earth through teaching his children to keep the way of the Lord. Now, he's keep the way of the Lord specifically, as the verse tells us, by doing righteousness and justice. And this is, of course, stands in strong contrast to the, in light of the context. Sodom and Gomorrah was not known for doing righteousness and justice. They were known for wickedness and injustice. They were, cho- they were known for living according to their own way, man's ways, according to whatever their sinful hearts desired. And God was going to destroy them for that. Sadly, we still live in a world that is like that. You know what month it is. You know that it, our world glories in man choosing to live in their own way according to their own desires, to do whatever they will. It is a continued reflection of man choose, sinful, wicked men choosing to live according to their own ways. And God, just as he did for Sodom and Gomorrah, is a warning to all who choose to live by our own ways. It's the path, it's the way 
to destruction. And it's our task. God has left us here in this city for this time to graciously, winsomely proclaim the message that leads people to life, the way of life, through faith in Jesus. But Abraham, as we see, was command his children and his household after him, that is, his family after him, the, the, his children's children, his children's children, that they would keep the way of the Lord. That is how God was going to bless the families of the earth, through, this, through Abraham. The command continued not only from Abraham to eventually the great nation that would descend from him, the nation of Israel. As Israel prepared to enter the promised land, on the plains of Moab, we, <clears throat> we read in Deuteronomy of how God reiterates his law to the nation. After giving them the Ten Commandments in, Gen- in Deuteronomy 5, calling them to love the Lord their God at the beginning of Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5, the Lord says this in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7. He says, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Essentially what God is doing here is he's reiterating his command to Abraham, to the nation of Israel. He wants them to command their children to keep the way of the Lord. The nation's parents were to teach God's law diligently to their children. They were to teach the the Ten Commandments. They were to teach to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. They would teach the rest of the law as well to their children. We see that the primary teachers of the children of Israel were not the religious or political leaders. It was not their, their priests. It was not their scribes. It was not the Levites. It was not, it was not particularly any, the governors or the, the kings. The primary teachers of the children of Israel were who? Their parents. Their parents. They were responsible to teach their children the way of the Lord. So from generation to generation throughout the nation of Israel, the history of Israel, God's chosen nation was then continuing what Abraham was called to do, to pass on the way of the Lord from parent to child and to the next generation. And this continued all the way through the, the nation of the history of Israel, even into the reign of King David. And we read in Psalm 78, our next passage, verses 5 to 7, the words written by one of David's worship leaders, a man named Asaph. And he, wrote, he writes this, <clears throat> For he established, as God established, a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. See, by uh, about four or five hundred years later, God's plan for Israel had not changed. He was going to bless the families of the earth through the descendants of Abraham who would put their trust and confidence in God. We see this evidence, this reference to the necessity of faith, which Abraham, of course, had as well, which God counted to him as righteousness. God's, <clears throat> the descendants of Abraham were to be taught to put their trust in God, their confidence in God. They were taught to be taught to remember God's works. Remember that God created you he created the world and created you. In fact, it was really cool this week. Uh, the very first thing that our, our day, our, our day camp, uh, for those of you that were hurt, the very first, what, did, what was our uh, Bible lesson of the day? God created us. Genesis 1, 26, I was like, oh man, that's perfect. It's exactly what we're doing. I, so I commend you, how, you that, how that worked out. It's like, it was uh, just really encouraging to see these truths being taught to our children that God is a creator. We remember his works. If you don't remember he's creator, you're not, you don't have, there's no reason why to follow him, really. Say, like, who is he? What relation do I have with him? But we teach children that God created us. Remember his works. And so we might keep, and they were to be taught also to keep his commandments. Of course, though, this was the plan. We know of Israel's history that many failed to keep the way of the Lord. They, not only did they fail to keep the way of the Lord, but they then inevitably failed to teach their children to keep the way of the Lord. 
And we know that eventually the nation fell away from God. They worshipped idols. They forgot the way of the Lord. They forgot his works. They did not put their confidence in God. They put their confidence everywhere else, in man and other, in other nations. And that resulted, of course, in God's judgment, God's discipline, exile in 70 years in Babylon. Finally, when the nation returned to the land, the nation had completely forgotten God's ways. They couldn't even keep God's instructions to them anymore. They couldn't do what they were called to do in 778 or in Deuteronomy 6 because they didn't know the way of the Lord. So God raised up a group of men called scribes. Ezra was the man who led the way. Uh, These group of religious leaders who were devoted to studying the law, practicing the law, and then teaching it in Israel. It was with Ezra and the group of scribes that really began the predominance of, of the people, God's people having skilled teachers who would be the ones who teach God's people. And pastors are really a, a reflection of that tradition. Sadly, by Jesus' day, many of these scribes had distorted God's laws into man-made traditions. They failed. They themselves even failed. And so it was, fitting, it, was a, it, was the, it was fitting that when Christ came, he began to teach the people in a way that they had never heard. People were amazed, remember, at Jesus' teaching. Why? Because he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And Jesus came to once again teach God's people God's law so that they then can teach their children. When we fast forward to the early church, after Christ died and rose from the grave, we learn how Christ then gave gifted teachers, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, for the equipping of the saints. He gave the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And these then would become the pattern for the church throughout the ages. It would be the teaching of God's word would come through gifted teachers, uh, your elders, your pastors, uh, there's evangelists as well, who would teach God's people. And it was necessary again because God's people had, didn't know God's truths. They had forgotten God's truths. But these pastors and teachers who would teach the people, these, uh, among those people would be parents. And as those parents came to learn of God's truths, in the New Testament we start seeing again God's plan to use parents to disciple their children reflected in the New Testament. And, here, and that's what we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Where Paul writes to Timothy, as part of our call to worship you, however, continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, Paul's disciple, had learned the way of the Lord, not from Paul first. He had learned actually from his, from his childhood, from his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, in 2 Timothy 1.5. And it was Paul who came alongside and further discipled him. But what's more, and now we see this, that the importance of that discipleship that, that, uh, of children that ha- takes place as they learn God's truths. But we see in Ephesians 6.4, the, probably the, the key text on discipling children in the New Testament. Paul writes here, Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, Fathers as heads of household, it would imply the, uh, the moms included here as those who are helpers of their husbands. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers and mothers are, are given the task to, to bring up your children in the way of the Lord. Once again, it comes back that these parents have this task to put their children on the path of God. As these new believers learn from pastors, teachers, they in turn were once again to teach these truths to their children. God's plan of making disciples of all the nations involves, yes, evangelists and pastors teaching God's truth to others. But we must not neglect the powerful and practical ministry that God ordained even from the very beginning of discipling, of parents discipling our children. For God's plan of making disciples of all the nations begins with and is modeled after God's people discipling their children. That's why God gives, God gives these kids to us. And in fact, as I would imagine, I, 
let me have, give you a, just a, something that I have been learning that as God has finally given us children, I've learned as a parent much more about how I could disciple others from how I discipled my children. It's, uh, it's kind of opened my mind to, wow, this is, oh, I never thought about ministering, dis- discipling to others this way. It's not just a program. It's not a Bible study. It's not just something you attend weekly. I don't sit down and, and say, kids, okay, let's have weekly fellowship time or weekly Bible study time. It's a, it's a lifelong endeavor. And that says so much about how we disciple others as well. But let's take a closer look then at the powerful impact of discipleship. We looked at the God's plan. Hopefully you, that's something you uh, are, can see in, in the pattern of Scripture that God wants his people discipling their children, and that becomes really a, a model for us discipling others, of the, others in our lives, and discipling the nations. Let's look at the powerful impact, the power of discipling children. What's, why is this so important? And I think it's intuitively to, intuitive to us, probably. Um, we, uh, but let's just say it and make sure that it's uh, said for us. Ephesians 6.4 is probably the most well-known New Testament passage on parenting. If you go to the Old Testament, the most well-known passage on parenting in the Old Testament is perhaps Proverbs 22, verse 6. Look at Proverbs 22, 6 with me. It says, uh, Solomon writes, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Right? This verb, to train up, appears in simply three other verses in the Old Testament. It's not that common. Uh, it's, a, it's a verb that means Hanak. And we, you've heard Hanukkah? Uh, that's from that same, uh, that's a noun form of that verb, Hanak. And it's the word itself, Hanak, is, uh, is used of in the scriptures in Deuteronomy 20, verse 5, of dedicating a house. It's used in 1 Kings 8.63 and 2 Chronicles 7.5 of dedicating the house of the Lord. The Theological word book of the Old Testament states that a more accurate translation of this word, Hanak, is to begin or to initiate. It's uh, Hanak is best understood as inaugurate, inaugurate. And so this idea of training a child in the way he should go is the idea of starting or inaugurating or beginning them, initiating in their lives. Last week we had our child dedication, and parents there were expressing their desire to dedicate their child, to hanak their child in the way of the Lord. They're expressing their desire to set their children and start them off on the way they should go, and hopefully what they will set their children on their path, you know, that, that will be the direction that they will eventually they will keep on going as parents come alongside, helping to, to shape, direct, continue to course correct and direct them so that as they do that, as they start them off and, and keep them, help them, guide them along the way, the child, when they're old enough, when they leave the home probably, even a little bit before that, they will have what they have learned from their parents will be a guide for them that will keep them on the way of the Lord. Now, there are some who interpret this way, the way he should go, in a different way than the way of the Lord. They, they would say that it, it means, in a, since it literally means according to his way, some have interpreted to mean that it should train up a child in accordance with basically their personality or in accordance with their, their stage of life. Or, uh, so if they're strong-willed, then you've got to do it a different way. If they're you know, not so strong-willed, then you do it a different way. If they're like three, you do it a different way. If you're 13, you, do, you teach a little different way. And certainly there's some human wisdom in that. I think we would do age-appropriate instruction, things like that. But that's not the meaning of this text. When we look at this word, the way, and how it's used in the book of Proverbs, in fact, in much of wisdom literature, the way refers to a way of life. It's a way of life. It's not uh, their personality. It's not used in that way. It's not their character. It's talking about a way of living. And Proverbs, as well as Psalms, uh, uh, these wisdom literature books, really describes that there's really two ways of living. Again, the way of man, which is the way of the wicked, the way of the fool, and the way of death. 
And that way stands in contrast to the way of the Lord, the way of the righteous, the way of the wise, and the way that leads to life. So to train up a child according to his way means to start them off by instructing them in the way that they should go. And that's reflected in the NAS translation. Throughout a child's early years, parents are constantly <laughs> instructing them. Boy, I wish I, you know, you know, I wish I, you got, they, my children could be just like you. I just tell you once on a Sunday and you just remember for the rest of your life, right? You just got it ready, you mastered it. Oh, wait. We're all like children too, aren't we? We can be told many times, we can come to many sermons, we hear the same truths, oh, love the Lord your God, let's walk in righteousness, and then we walk out the door, and we, we stumble and fall, and we fall into sin. Our children are just like that, and there's lessons that we learn from instructing children as, we, as, live in, um, as far as instructing us as adults. You know, we as parents are, are constantly, not only do you start them on the path, it's kind of like I was thinking about the blindfold game where you put a blindfold kid and then you kind of spin them around and then you kind of like, you know, let, push them in a direction. You're supposed to kind of get them to a certain place. Well, you know, it's, your kids don't really don't know the way, right? It's like they have blinders on. You want to spin them around, you, well, you know, you put that, you want to set them on the course and just say, just walk on this straight and narrow way and you will get to the spot you need to get to. That's what we're trying to do as parents. Yes, from the moment I did some calculation, I like numbers. From the moment a child is born until they turn 18, parents have 6,570 days. 6,570 days. That's how many days until they turn 18. And what you say and what you do consistently, especially as parents, and by the way, if I sound passionate, it's because I'm speaking to myself about this. During those days will stay with them the rest of their lives. Think about the things that what will I say every, every day for 6,570 days in my child's life, in your child's life, that you're going to say, that they're going to keep and remember. What kind of conduct, what kind of attitudes, what kind of behavior will I live before them for those 6,570 days that they're going to remember when they leave my home and are on their way? Hopefully they will hear and see things like, I love you. I will always love you. Or God loves you. Or Jesus died for you so that you can be forgiven. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Words like, hey, let's, let's look to God's word. Let's, let's pray about that. All these things that we repeat daily, and they seem mundane, but they're setting a, a path, our children on a way. We're discipling them so they would know the way they ought to go. Of course, I have to add that this is a proverb. It's a proverb. And so this means it's proverbial. That means it's generally true. There are always exceptions. I know of faithful, godly parents love the Lord their God strove by, you know, to consistently teach God's word, but still the child grows up and rejects the faith. They don't follow the way. But generally, the proverb remains true. It is a true proverb because of the powerful lifelong impact of parents in the lives of their children. Not only is it a powerful, lifelong impact that parents have, it's more than that. Parents, who, as they disciple children, have an eternal impact. And we see this in 2 Timothy 3, 14, 15. We go back to this verse that we read in the first uh, earlier. You, however, Paul writes to Timothy, you continue in the things you have learned, become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. A child who's going to be taught the scriptures from a young age by loving, faithful parents or teachers is put on a path that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. It leads, it's, they're put on the path that leads that way. You cannot make them into Christians. You can only put them on the path that leads to salvation. And true, they will only be saved by the sovereign grace of God. But God, as we see in this verse, uses the relationship that that child has with their parents. 
Paul tells Timothy, remember whom you have learned these truths from. You learned them from your parents. Eventually, as our children grow older, they're going to have to choose for themselves what they believe in, whose way they will follow. You can't make that choice for them. You can only just put them on the way. They have to choose for themselves. But as they, they're going to choose themselves, they're going to, it's not like your choice is going to be the only choice. The world's going to give them a whole other bunch of choices. You can live this way or that way or this way. And they're going to look, think about it. And they're going to have to make a choice. And hopefully we've given them a clear enough way, uh, understanding of the way that they were, they'll, and they'll be smart enough to figure out, to consider who is, the, who is telling them wh- which ways to go. And they, they, they may remember that God's way is what mom and dad told me to go. Mom and dad who loved me all my life, who cared for me when I was helpless and hopeless, they told me these truths. The ones who loved me, and then there's these these really cool professors at college who are really, you know, writing books and all that stuff. They also, they tell me to go a different way. Who will you choose to believe in as a child? The one who loves you or these ones who, well... They're paid to teach you these things. Think about it. Your parents were never paid to do anything for you. They did it all for free, sacrificially, generously, graciously. They poured their life into you. And as you think about which way I'm going to choose, that, hopefully that, that relationship with that me- the messenger that are your parents is going is, to influence these kids for a life. They're going to remember that way who told them the truths of God. Discipling children doesn't automatically guarantee their salvation. It just doesn't. Well, and God gives salvation. But consistent, faithful discipling will start them on the way towards salvation, on the way to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Not only does discipling children then have a powerful impact because parents start them on the way so that when they're old, they will not depart from it, but parent, pra- discipling children have a, a practical impact have practical implications. And let's look at our third and final point, the practice of discipling children. And the practice, I just want to quickly cover uh, the what, the when, and the how. What, when, and how. Consider first the what of discipling children. What is it that we're supposed to disciple them in? What is it that God wants us to help them to learn? And this is it's kind of obvious from the earlier passages, but... It's essentially the same thing that Abraham was to teach his children. From Genesis 18 and 19, we were told that um, we are to, Abraham was to command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord, to keep the way of the Lord. And again, it's just not enough to teach them about God. We can teach about God. We can teach about his way. We can teach about his works. We must teach them about God and then our need to respond to love him. We must teach them about his way and then our need to follow him or keep it. We must teach them about God's works and then our need to praise and trust and obey him. In fact, it's what Jesus teaches his disciples to do in the Great Commission, doesn't he? He says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that he commanded. And disciple making, of we teach people to observe, to follow what God, Christ instructs. And that's what we need to do with our children. Encourage obedience. And I think that's uh, uh, pretty straightforward. It's uh, easier said than done. <laughs> but it is, uh, uh, it, is our, it is what we are to do in discipling children. You know, just communicate information to them. Communicate them to them. Encourage, find ways to help them to follow God's ways. Observe God's ways. Consider then the next, the when of discipling children. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 to 7, again, we go back to it. God instructed Israel to teach their sons when? Well, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And these are all figurative way of saying basically all the time. All the time we are to uh, be 
teaching and discipling our children at every opportunity. It doesn't say um, teach them when you go to church. Teach them on Sundays. We are to be uh, discipling our children uh, to keep the way of the Lord daily and throughout the day. And especially uh, for those who are with their children all day, many of you are stay-at-home moms out there, there are so many opportunities around being with the children to point them to God's truths, to point them to God, and to explain to them why we follow God's ways. There's this opportunity to talk about what God would want us to do in this situation and how we ought to live and where we ought to turn to when we, when we sin or when we, uh, when we need help. And parents, we are, we are, we would be doing our children disfavor if we think that we're discipling them by just bringing them to church on Sunday or fellowship group on Fridays. That is not enough. That's a Friday ministries, Sunday ministries are a supplement to what you and I are, are to do in the lives of our children throughout the week, right? If you bring them to church on Sundays, they hear God's word taught and they hear something Friday, and you may even ask questions about, oh, what did you learn this today in Sunday school class? But then the rest of the week, Monday through Thursday, you don't talk about God. You, you don't ask anything about what they're learning about their day, trying to find opportunities to point them to Jesus. You, you don't pray with them. You don't you know, read, read any biblical truths with them. You, you're doing, we are doing them a disfavor. We're, we're not sh- taking every opportunity to set them on their way. Two hours of instructions in God's word is not going to stand against the 30 plus hours of secular instruction that they are going to receive from their schools. Now I want to add that I'm thankful for all our public school teachers and private school teachers that are in our church body. And I know that many of you are making a big, huge difference, especially in our school district. And I thank God for you and continue to do and be faithful. But parents, we must remember uh, that there are that there are there are in too many individuals that are administrators, teachers out there that are seeking to influence your children, not according to God's ways, but their ways. You know, a lot of times schools are, are have have become not this place where they teach them the basics, the reading, writing, arithmetic that we all ought to learn. They become instruction, places of instruction for philosophies, principles, values of this world. And parents, we, I'm not saying you should not send them to school, public school, that, but I'm saying that you need to be constantly, we need to be constantly asking our children, interacting with children, helping them to think through biblically what they're hearing at school. Because if you don't talk to them about it, they're just going to accept probably accept whatever their, their teachers tell them. So that's why it's so important that Christian teachers are, are there, by the way. I thank God for our children's director and our children's ministry, but the children's ministry of our church are, is not the primary source of biblical instruction for our kids. Parents, we are. We are. At the end of the day, we, ask our, we must ask ourselves, every day we should ask, how did I disciple my child today in the way of the Lord? How did I start keep them on that path? How did I correct them? Did I pray with them? Did I say any biblical truths to them today? Did I tell them about what God desires of life? You know, you, you know their sins, so did I encourage them to confess their sins to God? Because Jesus died for them? Did I point something true of the Lord? These are all the these things take place all throughout the days, all throughout the day. And I know dads, dads or those of you who work all day, trust me, I feel just as tired as you do when I come home at the end of the day. I was, wife, where's my dinner? Let me just kick back. Let me have my own downtime. You know, you take care of the kids more. You, know, you keep taking all the care of the kids, and, you know, we're, I'm good. No, I'd be a bad. I'd be in the, sleeping on the couch if I did that. Okay? Guys, we, I know we're tired. 
And we, we need to, when we come home, before you get home, pray and ask God to give you strength, give you grace, give you patience, so that you can be all there, not only for your, to, to, for your wife who's been there all day, uh, well, very likely your wife all day, or, uh, or, the, you know, or your, the grandparents who've been there all day, that you can be there to disciple your kids. Be there. Again, you don't have to start a Bible study. Just be there and talk to them, play with them, and interact with them. I love watching um, day camp this week. Our, they, they play a lot with the kids. <laughs> I see one of you out there. You play a lot with our kids. I appreciate that. You know, who will our kids listen to when that time comes and when you're playing with them? Their ears are wide open that time. They, they want to hear from you. And that's parents as tired as we are. Uh, be, be with them. Play with them. You don't mind how the strength to you know, do all the crazy stuff. Uh, but uh, there's opportunities as we play with them to, to speak truth in their lives. All right, that's when. Um, lastly, the how. How. How of discipling children. This goes back to Ephesians 6 4. Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. Parents are instructed here what to do and what not, what not to do and what to do. And what we're not to do is to provoke our children to anger. Paul writes similarly in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. There's a way to parent where you can make your children so angry and exasperated that they lose heart. They're discouraged. They're disheartened. And the warning here for parents is that they're against those habitual actions and way of parenting that, might, that, we, might com- that we might do over a lifetime, of a child's lifetime that just continually discourage them where they feel like they can never do it. They can never do what you're asking of them. It's, it generally includes this, this, concept, this expectation of, of perfection, uh, maybe a, an overcritical nitpicking. You know, because they made a mess or they didn't do what they're supposed to do again. And it's easy to lose our, our patience. It's easy to say words that are too strong. Over a lifetime, those things can discourage and dishearten a child. Just think about the things where you as a child the way that your parents may have, may have overly said certain things or expected you of certain things that discourage you. Certainly other things may include showing favoritism, maybe using love, your love for hold, withholding love or, or from them with, as a reward or punishment, abusing them, even verbally or physically. These things can um, provoke our children to anger and discourage their hearts. If you do that consistently there, that's going to affect your relationship with them. They're going to think about that. They're going to keep that in mind when they grow up and they're thinking about the way. They say, well, that's how mom and dad treated me. No, nah, I don't think so. We know, and that's a, it's, a, it's a common saying for many kids. So what are parents to do that? They're instead to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This word bring up is the word, same word that means, that's translated nourishes back in Ephesians 5.29, describing Christ's relationship with the church. So Christ nourishes the church, and just as Christ nourishes the church, so fathers and mothers are to bring them up in the nourishment and instruction of the Lord. Parents are to provide their children what is needed to grow. It's not just physical food, but spiritual food we're talking about, the things of the Lord that they need. Instead of discouraging them, let's find ways, let's think about how we're nourishing them in the way of God. What kind of nourishment do they need? They, they need the, the nourishment of the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, discipline here. When we see the, uh, this word discipline, I, I almost oftentimes think about like, oh, you know, the, the punishment that you might give them for, for, uh, uh, for may not obeying or something like that. But that is, uh, that's, that's incomplete. That's incomplete. Uh, this word discipline uh, actually is the word that means that in 2 Timothy 3.16, when we're all scriptures inspired by God, proper for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, 
That word training is the same word here as discipline. It's the same word, same Greek word. So it's the idea of discipline that, of the Lord that we say, is the training in the Lord. It, yes, it includes the punishments that you may dispense, but it should include the, the, it's really referring to the systematic training of our children. There's a, there's a systematic training of our children. We may give them rules to follow, regulations to live by. We might give them rewards for certain conduct or punishments for other conduct. Think of it as a way of the things that we must do to, to train up someone in the way of righteousness. What can we do to train up someone? It's just punishing them, beating them, or well, not beating them, but punishing them. Is that the only way to train up someone to walk in righteousness? No. How about modeling it? How about speaking it consistently, praying for them consistently? Yes, offering maybe rewards that would encourage them. I know... Uh, yeah, I know my kids were motivated a little bit by the, uh, the points they could get to buy some toys and stuff like that this week, by, to memorize verses. Very, very, very good. Uh, it works. Uh, kids love that. Hopefully, they'll, you know, they'll, hopefully, it's my job to make sure they remember those verses and live according to them. But there's, a, there's that motivation. It's a systematic training. Ways to train up someone, practicing, affirming, guiding, and yes, correcting even. That's the discipline of the Lord. But secondly, a child can be nourished with instruction. Instruction. And I like this word instruction. It's really, it's a, it's a word from which we get, a new, you've heard, uh, you may have heard the nuthetic new counseling uh, terminology. This uh, adm- admonishment is another way of putting it. Really, it's, it's, it's this literally means putting in mind. The nutheteo, nuthetic. It means putting something in mind. It refers to the type of instruction that, in a sense, what Solomon does in the book of Proverbs Training by means of repetition of the spoken word, whether it's teaching, giving instruction, whether it's warning, whether it's encouragement. But the aim is that how we ought to disciple our children is that we're trying to put things in their mind, put God's word in their minds, uh, put warnings in their mind. I'm telling you, I, I, I have to confess, I'm a little bit of a helicopter parent. I don't know how many times, oh, watch out, be careful of this. But then I think, oh, well, that's kind of what Solomon does to his son, right? Watch out for that way. Watch out for that woman. Be careful. <laughs> Hopefully I don't overdo it, but I'm kind of like that. I'm constantly warning my kids of, of, of dangers that exist in our world that they need to be watchful for. And hopefully by this constantly putting in their mind these, these not only positive instructions, but warnings, encouragements, that it will transform their mind. You know, as parents, particularly of young kids, it's, it's easy just to focus on outward behavior. How many of you would be happy to have your kid just simply listen to you whenever you, whatever you say, ask of them? They would, would clean up their rooms and, and make sure that they wipe behind the ears and wipe their mouths and leave a clean, ta- clean table uh, or not fight with their brothers and sisters. Oh, man, sign me up for that class. I think I'd like that. I'd like some peace and quiet sometimes. But if they're just doing that outwardly because they're afraid of punishment, if they're just doing it outwardly because, you know, they, they want some reward that I'm going to give them, they want dessert that day, but I've not changed the heart, I've not changed their mind, why they want to do that, I'm not really putting them on the way. I, I, I'm falling short in what I need to do as a parent. It's easy to cause our children to conform to outward, outward uh, standards, outward conduct, it's harder but more important to shape their minds, which eventually is going to reflect in their outward behavior, eventually. So in discipling children, let's not discourage our children. Let's not exasperate our children. But let's nourish our children and bring, train them up by consistently applying scripture, uh, applying structure that instills godly discipline and applying scripture truths that conform their hearts and minds to the way of the Lord. That's how. So these are some practical implications of parenting. Hopefully they're helpful. I think many of you, uh, I can imagine you seasoned parents like, yeah, got that. That's something you've already remembered. But I know for myself as a young parent on the, on the way, these are kind of very, they, they stand out to me and I, hopefully they encourage some of you younger parents out there as well. But hopefully it's encouragement to many of us who are ministry workers with children. Well, children's ministry is 
is not the only ministry in the church. I know I've focused on ministries. Like, should I preach on ministry to, you know, uh, student, well, student ministries included in this, but ministry to uh, young adults or ministry to singles, ministry to married couples, and they're all important. It's true. But by God's design, children's ministry is one of the most impactful ministries. We disciple children not just for ourselves. We disciple in our generation. We're discipling children for future generations, for long-term impact, for lifelong impact. A story is told, and many of you have heard it before, but I, like, I still like it, of the story of evangelist D.L. Moody, who after one of his meetings, one of his evangelistic meetings, reported uh, to his host that uh, in his meeting he had two and a half conversions. And then the, his host replied, I suppose you mean two adults and one child. Moody answered, no, I mean two children and one adult. The children gave their whole lives to the Lord. The adult had only half a life to live, to give. Okay, I know that's just, I'm not sure if that actually happened, but it's just a story that's told by D.L. Moody. But it's significant because this week's day camp, one of our verses for the children that they were to memorize is actually right over there, is Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before, before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And when a child who is trained up in the way will live their whole life bearing God's image in the world, they're going to be a light throughout their lives. They're going to be a light when they go to elementary school. They're going to be a light, well, if they're believers, they may be a light in preschool, a light in elementary school, a light in middle school, a light in high school, a light in college, a light in their career, a light in when they're in the family, a light when they're in their community, a light all the way when they're in, they, they get so old, they're now in their, their, uh, their, uh, the senior centers. They're going to be a, <laughs> And they're going to be a light throughout their lives. It's a whole life that we have to, to influence and that God will use to make disciples of all the nations. And that's why the value of children, we can lead them to Christ at an early age. Uh, it has a profound impact upon the world by the, all, by the grace of God, of course. Um, but we, do our, we strive to do our part as parents, as many of are workers of children. And uh, it's not just, by the way, when I say children, it's not just children that are young, but I would say I include, want to make sure I include student ministries in this as well. Our, many of you are also workers with students' ministries, and that too has a profound impact. It's going to shape them for a long, all their lives. So let me uh, leave you just a th- Three kind of thoughts, questions, thought applications. Parents, how will you use your 6,570 days to start your children on the way of the Lord? Okay? Uh, what will they remember when they leave your home? You know, don't um, make sure it's something that you are con- Whatever you're repeating to them, always um, make, sure that, uh, make sure that it's God's truths. And what truths of discipling children? Can you ask the Lord to help you improve? Maybe there's something, particularly those as parents. What can we do to improve? Uh, maybe something we've heard today that uh, we can apply better in our discipling children. And how does the truths of discipling children then, thirdly, influence your discipling of others? If we think about how God disciples children, there's, there's a lot of different principles that kind of translate from discipling children to discipling adults. Um, a lot of times we go backwards. We go discipling adults to discipling children. But when we do that, what we end up doing is we're just creating this structure, this program. And it pro- a lot of times we disciple adults like a program, like a, program a ministry. That's not how you disciple children, right? It doesn't work. That, well, you, it can't work. You know, we have that. But that's really not how God designed children. It's, it's meant to be all the time, all the days, throughout our days, at all times. Constantly putting, we're focusing on their minds. And so uh, maybe think about that, reflect upon that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for this word. Just give us a big picture of, um, and of the ministry of discipling children. I know that uh, it's not all the scripture, what your scripture has to say about discipling children, but uh, Lord, thank you for this kind of big picture of it. We pray that for many of us who are uh, par- young parents, who are starting off on the, uh, on the parenthood, help us to take these words to heart especially. Uh, in discipling our children. But also, Lord, I, we thank you for ma- our many children's workers in this church and our student, work, student ministry workers that are in this body. In the time, we thank you for the sacrifice that they give to also come alongside us in directing our children on the way, uh, on the way that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. God, we, we know that ultimately all that we do uh, is 
would be fruitless apart from your sovereign grace. And so we ask of you, we depend upon you, we pray that your spirit would do the work in helping us to follow your ways and helping our children to heed what we've taught them, to observe what we exhort them to, so they would, as they grow up and grow older, they would not depart from your way. And that when you entrust them with children, that they would do the same and continue making disciples of their children and making disciples of all the nations. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.